Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, April 23rd, 2023, called Redeemed, Peter, given by Deacon Aaron Hayes. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of John, chapter 21, verse 17. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Feed my sheep. So God's grace and his peace are yours in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as always, there is a sermon outline if you'd like to follow along and fill in those blanks as we look here at the restoration of Peter. Now, to give you some background here, I relate to Peter significantly, and I saw some of my high school students here um, over there in the sound booth and some other places. I like to just say things sometimes. I just like to talk, and I talk fast, and there's a lot of words when I just say things. And I I mentioned this in the earlier service today, but for the first two or three years of my teaching experience, when I was adapting to the high school classroom, I would have this kind of running joke where I'd talk to my fellow coworkers or to to Pastor Dinger or whoever it was and says, want to hear my story this week of why I got fired from Grace? (laughs) Because sometimes I just say things. It's 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 a bad habit of mine because my brain is always, you know, functioning 100 miles an hour. And so when Peter sometimes just impulsively says stuff, I relate to him a little bit. He's a man of action in that sense. Now, he's even more physical than me, but the speaking part of it, where he speaks up, is something that I relate to greatly, both for the good and the bad. And so as we look at Peter, it's good to remind ourselves of the journey that he went on that leads him to this point of restoration. And so Peter starts out being called by Jesus to be his disciple as a fisher of men. We see that in Matthew 4. We also know that Peter's brother Andrew is involved with this call earlier in the Gospel of John. And so Peter follows Jesus. And Peter right away in John says, you're Peter, but you're going to be Cephas. That is the rock. And then we find out later in Matthew why that is as well. Uh, Peter also is the one that jumps into the water to walk on water because he trusts his Lord. And when he takes his lies off of Jesus, he starts to sink, right? It's funny, I was talking to, to, to Ryan, Mr. Ryan earlier today, and he pointed out, and it's kind of a funny little moment. Notice that when in this story after the resurrection, Peter doesn't try to walk on the water. He just jumps in. So, I don't know if that means anything or not, but that's kind of a funny little irony there. But Peter does walk initially when he keeps that mind in Jesus. Again, he's that man of action. Uh, Peter confesses the faith. Jesus is asking his disciples in Matthew 16, who do you say that I am? And some of them say, you know, he's the prophet, or he's Elijah, or something like that. But then Jesus repeats the question, but who do you say? Who do you say? Now, who others, what others say, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. One of the great confessions of faith that we find throughout Scripture. Last week, we had another great confession that Pastor Chris talked about with Thomas, where Thomas sees Jesus' wounds in the resurrected body, and his response is, My Lord and my God. It's another great confession of faith. Well, here in Peter, we have, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds to him and says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, or Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, he gets that name again, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. Upon Peter's confession of faith, Jesus will build his church. It's, a, it's an amazing confession of faith, an amazing statement. And notice that Jesus says that flesh and blood does not reveal this to you. In other words, the Holy Spirit The Father in heaven, the Trinity, has revealed this to Peter, and that's the only reason that he can confess this in faith. It's because that faith is given as a gift to him. What's amazing about this is just a couple of verses later, Jesus also says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And so you see that dichotomy with Peter. You see that really positive, yay, this is great, he gets it. And then, oh no, 
That happens a lot with Peter. And I relate to that because I'm sure Jesus looks at me the same way. Yeah, Aaron, that's, oh no, you know. And I need that restoration that comes that we see here. Then, of course, we get to Holy Week, in which Peter is very bold, defending his Lord's honor. He draws the sword. He cuts off the ear of the servant he's wanting to defend. Jesus tells him to put that sword away. Jesus says, I'm not going to deny you, Lord. I will never deny you. And Jesus says, before the cock crows, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times, right? And actually, when Peter does deny Jesus, Jesus looks at him. It's one of the most heartbreaking accounts in the Passion is after Jesus denies. I don't know the man. I truly don't know him. Jesus is in the courtyard and looks at him and looks at him. And then Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. It's, it's, it is. It's, it's heartrending to see that happen. And it should apply to us in different ways. You know, have we done this? We'll get to that in just a second. So that, that's our background here. And then we get these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And so Jesus has already appeared to the disciples twice before. The gospel says this is the third time. Now, if you read the other gospels and you read the list in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives us a whole variety of appearances, including one to Peter that doesn't seem to be listed in the gospels in the same way. Paul, uh, Paul says he's passing this tradition on in 1 Corinthians 15. He appeared to the 12, and then it says he appeared to James. He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter. That's another word for Peter, or the rock. And then to James and to the 12 and to the 500 at one time, we get this whole list of resurrection appearances. This is very important because this is based on eyewitness testimony. Peter himself in one of his epistles is going to say, we did not follow cunningly devised fables. These weren't just makeup stories to make us feel good. Peter says we were eyewitnesses to his majesty, eyewitnesses to his glory. So you should know this. And again, my high school kids that are in here will recognize this. You have a faith that is based in real history. These are events that, that we don't wish to be true or hope to be true. This is not a fairy tale, you know, like the Disney opens up the old book long ago and far away, right? This is a real place in real history based on eyewitness testimony. These events occurred, and our faith is not based on those fables. Now, there's a really neat parallel in this restoration account as we talk about the betrayal and restoration that we sometimes miss in translation that I want to point out to you. And we don't always emphasize original languages um, as far as things go. Of course, the pastors in particular are well-versed in this. I've had some training. I look at my tools. Um, but if you become a pastor like Pastor Dinger, you have years of Hebrew and Greek, and you employ that. You don't necessarily share it, but it helps you prepare your sermons, right? So we don't use that often here, but there's a really neat parallel that I'm going to share with you from this that I think will help you understand how brilliant, number one, this gospel is. It's brilliant. John's writing is awesome, but also how intentional Jesus is in restoring Peter, the intentionality of Jesus. So you see on the night when Peter denied Jesus, he was standing by a charcoal fire. Remember this. This is in John 18. Now here he is again, standing by what? Another charcoal fire. In fact, the Greek word for charcoal fire is anthrakia, where we get the word anthracite, that really carbon-rich, super-efficient coal that we find in places like Pennsylvania. And so there, we, we call this fuel. It's such good fuel, this anthracite. The word anthracia only occurs in these two times. It occurs in John 18, when Peter denies Jesus at the charcoal fire, and then again in John 21, when Jesus restores Peter. It seems like Jesus may have done this for a reason. Just maybe. Go figure and that becomes even more clear with what happens next. Three times, Peter had denied his Lord by a charcoal fire, and now three times, Jesus will restore his denying disciple 
again by a charcoal fire. So what does he say? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. And that brings us to our first point, which is this is a redemption of restoration. Peter wants to be with Jesus. Notice that Peter, I believe, I believe, now I I won't die on this hill in terms of like, I'm going to argue this, but I think Peter already knows he's forgiven because he's jumping into the water. He doesn't just say, oh no, Jesus is here. What's going to happen? No, he ties, he ties his clothes on and jumps right in. So I think he already knows that he's forgiven. Jesus had already appeared to them and said, peace be to you, right? Peace be with you. So obviously, if you're at peace, he's not going to say that to somebody who's not forgiven. So Peter knows he's forgiven, but I think he still is tenuous. He doesn't quite understand where he stands with Jesus or what his position actually is. What's he supposed to do now? So he leaps in the waters, but there's still some uncertainty there. His role as one of the leaders of the early church has some doubt. And so Jesus removes all of that doubt in restoring him, showing him that all is forgiven. For some things have happened in between these two charcoal fires, one in the courtyard and one in the shore, in between Peter's denials and now Peter's restoration, in between Jesus has gone to the cross where he, the son of God, purchased Peter's forgiveness and yours and mine. Yes, Jesus has been our in-between, the mediator, the man in the middle, making peace between God and sinful man by his holy blood, shed on our behalf. This is how Jesus can forgive Peter's denials and ours, risen from the dead, which also occurred very early in the morning, just as day was breaking. Our resurrected Lord Jesus still stands by his charcoal fire, calling all of his denying, deserting, and fallen disciples to come to him and be forgiven and be restored. And God continues to reaffirm our responsibilities as well. Now, many people, when they look at this passage, Pastor Dinger, I pick on Pastor Dinger a little bit. He loves this passage on this restoration because of the love words here. Do you love me? And you might recognize this. It's something that he's passionate about. And in fact, when he preaches about it, he often doesn't get through it because he ends up tearing up. Okay. And so that's kind of a thing. And so, yes, I'm calling him out on there. He can watch this later. Okay. But he does, and because it is a beautiful passage, and I don't want to de-emphasize this, but it, we forget some things that also happen in this passage. So not only does that love word change, where Jesus says, do you love me like a brother, or do you have that familial love because you can't give me that agape love that I can give you? We also have this word know that changes. Peter keeps saying, Jesus, you know that you love me, right? Or no, you know that I love you. There we go. Peter says that to Jesus. You know that I love you. That word no the first couple of times is more of just kind of just intellectual head knowledge. It's, yep, you know me, Jesus. Yep, you know who I am, Jesus. But the third time, after he's kind of wounded because he realizes what Jesus is doing, he says, you know that I love you. The word changes. The word here is is intimate, experiential knowledge. So Peter's like, yep, you know me, yep, you know me. And then the third time, after he's wounded, he's like, yes, Jesus, you really know who I really am. You know me better than I know myself. And then Jesus says, all right, we're good. Feed my lambs. Follow me. we got a mission. It's pretty amazing. And so Jesus has that knowledge, and we see that in Peter's response in that third thing. We often miss that. So yes, Simon Peter, your three denials have been forgiven three times over. Your sins are forgiven. You're being restored to your position. 
And you'll have some good work to do now, Peter, which the Lord will bless. Which brings me to the second point here, which is this redemption is into a mission. By his sovereign grace, God can often bring good out of our fallen nature, our failures, and even out of our sins. There's this story about this Scottish mansion. And if you don't know anything about Scotland or Ireland or haven't seen pictures of that recently, it rains there a lot. Certainly more than Pocatello. And it's green often. And, it's, and you have mist and it's damp and it can be cold. You know, when it, my son had a baseball game yesterday and it was like 34 degrees at first pitch. That's cold for baseball. And it was kind of damp and chilly. That's very common in especially the highlands of Scotland. And so when you build a house out there, you have to build out of rock. You have to use stones. You can't use wood because it'll rot, right? And if you use wood, you've got to, you know, coat, coat it in pitch and, and cover it and everything else. So you use, if you have a mansion and if you're wealthy, you build out of stone. You build out of rocks. You build out of things that will last. Well, what you do then is because the outside can be kind of drab and, and cloudy is you cover the inside with decorations. And so there was an old Scottish mansion close to where a guy named J. Stuart Holden had a little summer home. The walls of one room were filled with sketches made by distinguished artists. You ever been to a restaurant like that where everybody signs their name? Right? We, I talked, Pastor Chris is in Chicago. Uh, Gino's East is a great example for that. So you have celebrities that write their names there. And you, you know, and uh, another place is Ed DeBevix. And so you go into these restaurants and you see that celebs have been there and they leave their autographs. Well, back in the 1800s, famous artists would draw sketches. Um, on the grand tour, the romantic tour of Europe. And so this practice began in this house in particular after a pitcher of soda water was accidentally spilled on a freshly decorated wall and left an unsightly stain. So here you are. Any of you been a parent where you like paint something or do something new, you just clean the house and then your kid wrecks it two minutes later? Okay, that's, that's this, okay? Only probably even in a more expensive way. At the same time, a noted artist, Lord Landseer, was a guest in the house. One day when the family went out to the moors, he stayed behind, and with a few masterful strokes on a piece of charcoal, notice he's writing with charcoal, by the way, I thought that was kind of cool, that ugly spot became the outline of a beautiful waterfall bordered by trees and wildlife. He turned that disfigured wall into one of his most successful depictions of Highland life. And so God does the same thing for us. Think about how Peter and how God uses his failure for his kingdom. How many people in the last 2,000 years since this uh, account happened to have been encouraged and comforted by this passage? All of us who believe have a similar story, and like Peter, we have been given a vocation to share this resurrection life with others. And so I've been talking in the, with the freshmen in particular in the high school. We did the story of Martin Luther. And this was from a, a secular source. This is from PBS. It's not from, you know, the LCMS Incorporated or something, okay? This was, this was a, a PBS, a, a public documentary, and one of the things they bring up with Luther is how brilliant he was on emphasizing this doctrine of vocation, that we have a mission, that it's not just the apostles. You may not be Peter. You're probably not going to be the head of a large church, but you all have a vocation regardless of where you're placed in life. So if you're a student, your vocation is a student. If you're a parent, it might be changing diapers. Okay? And that's one of the Luther quotes is changing diapers is a holy vocation. And so they bring this up because he elevated the family life in, in an era in which sometimes it was denigrated. He brings this up, that that by itself is living out your vocation because you're living it to the glory of God. So when Jesus gives Peter this mission, he introduces it, by the way, by saying, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, it's not up there on the screen, but it's in your passage, the first part of this verse. Now, for those of you who know the Gospel of John, Jesus says this a lot. And in the King James, it's, verily, verily, I say unto thee. 
or truly I tell you, or truly, truly I say to you, or I tell you the truth. And when he says that, he's usually saying something of very great theological significance or something that makes you, you're supposed to stop and say, okay, I really need to pay attention. Jesus is telling me something. Well, he's directly saying something to Peter here. Truly I tell you, and then he describes kind of in this weird, mysterious circumstance. And it's some, somehow related to his death. Well, in church tradition in the 60s AD, Peter dies as a martyr in Rome under the emperor Nero. He and Paul both died during this time. And so Peter's there. He's shepherding God's people. He's fulfilling this command that Jesus has said. Feed my lambs. Tend to my lambs. Feed them. Take care of them. Bring them to pasture. Do everything for my, for my lambs. You have a mission, Peter. And he does that to his death. And he ends up in Rome and he's arrested and convicted and given the death penalty. And they're going to crucify him. The Romans are like, hey, you think you're Jesus so much? We're going to give you the same death as Jesus. And so Peter's response to that is, I am unworthy to die the same death that my Lord died. And the Romans, in their efficient way, said, all right, we'll crucify you upside down. And so if you've ever seen St. Peter's cross, that upside down cross, that's, that's, that's a symbol of Peter's martyrdom. He goes to his death. Christ offers us that same command to follow him today, which could include difficulties, sufferings, and persecution. Now, it might not be to our deaths, but there are some in the world today that face this. Think of our brothers and sisters in places like East Africa, the Middle East, India, and a host of other countries. Most of us will not be called to this martyr's death, but we are called to make Christ the first and highest good. And in some mysterious ways, he wants all of us, his fallen yet redeemed creatures, to participate in his mission of proclaiming this good news throughout the world, which leads us to my final point here, which is a redemption into this glorified life. Notice that when Christ talks about Peter's death, he's glorifying God in his death. That sounds really odd to us today. We try to mitigate or ignore death or sanitize death, and yet Jesus says, you will glorify Right? John's interpreting this for us. You will glorify me in your death. So here's the question that I have for all of us here and how God's challenging us. How about you? How about me? How have you denied your Lord like Peter did? Or are you thinking you're better than Peter? I mean, that's not true because I've just been like him. I'm telling you that right now. Too many times denying Christ, denying my Lord by my words and actions, surrendering to the pressures of the world. In what ways do we do that today? In what ways have we behaved that require God to restore us? Do we ignore his word? He gives us his word. He gives us a gift. Do we ignore it? Do we forget it? Do we say silent out of fear because somebody might think nasty thoughts about us or because we might, you know, uh, lose some rapport at work or lose some of our status socially? Maybe we, maybe we stay silent when God's telling us to proclaim his gospel. Do we allow our past sins to silence us? and say that we are unforgiven. I mean, think about this. Peter denies Jesus to his face. Remember, Jesus looks at him in the courtyard, right? He looks at him. And yet Jesus still restores that. There is not a single sin that Jesus didn't die for in this regard. And so one snarky pastor that I once heard, because we do, we carry these burdens and we don't live them. It's almost like we live in our past in this way, not living in that baptismal grace offered to us. So one, one guy walked up to a former pastor of mine and said, I know that Jesus has forgiven me. I'm, I'm good there, but I just can't forgive myself. And this was an ongoing thing. And the pastor was a little snarky and responded like, do you think your standards are higher than God's? That's a really interesting thought. If God has forgiven your sins... What are you doing hanging on to your old ones? Right? What are we doing? They've been forgiven, 
And if, and if Jesus can restore Peter after denying him to his face, he can restore you, and you do not have to live according to those things. Okay? When the devil throws those sins in your face, just say, what of it? I admit that I did those things, but I'm now where Jesus is, and where he is, there I'm going to be. It's the end of the story. So now you can commit yourself to this mission, into this glorified life that God has instead in, in store for us. So some of, these, some of these denials, some of these uh, sins that we may have personally may stand out in our particular memory, um, like those times in the courtyard with Peter. But the good news is this. Jesus is calling you over to himself by the charcoal fire. Hear his voice and come and receive your forgiveness. Jesus is restoring you today. No matter how many times you have fallen, Jesus will pick you up. He is restoring you to himself, and he has some good work for you to do, which he will bless. He will bless whatever he is calling you to do in his name according to your vocation in life. It doesn't matter if it's in the church, at home, at work, in your family, in your community. It doesn't matter. You know, my, my son was laughing earlier. I mentioned this. You know, there's that, fa that famous phrase, when you get to a family get-together, you just don't talk about politics and religion. He, he told me, he goes, he goes, actually, you left one out, Dad. If you know peanuts, it's religion, politics, and the great pumpkin. I was like, okay. <laughs> Okay, thanks, son. That's, that's a good helpful. But it's like, hey, at least he's paying attention. You know, he's trying to add on to my sermon. But that's, that, that, that's interesting, though, because the things that are the most important to us are the things we're not supposed to talk about. The culture tells you to keep all that stuff private. And here Jesus is saying, I've got a mission for you. I've got a mission for you. And Jesus has something to give us, to equip us, to give us strength as we go on to serve in his name. Like the disciples, does Jesus offer us something to eat? He absolutely does. He says that we can come and be forgiven. Jesus invites us to come and be restored. For Jesus is present in his word and in baptism and in holy communion, which we'll receive here in just a couple of minutes. Yes, the charcoal fire of forgiveness is still burning. Even in our death, like Peter, we glorify God. It's no secret that we've lost some folks around here these last few weeks. We've had some hard, hard moments, some hard services. As the scriptures say, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. But of course, because we are in Christ, we don't really die. This same gospel, this gospel of John in chapter 11, Jesus himself says, I am the resurrection and the life. Even though we die, we still live. So that glorified life starts right now. And because of this, we will reign with him forever. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org and make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.